Hi, this is John Ojaka from musicmarketingmanifesto.com, and you're listening to Behind the Note Podcast. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Thanks again for pressing play on this episode number 73. We're glad to have you today. We have a great guest for you once again. And as usual, we have a great show for you as a result. Today's guest is an active guitarist on the New York jazz scene. He's also an author of the Hal Leonard publication, 500 Jazz Licks. He's also working on a new title for them about improvising on jazz guitar. But today he is with us because of his diligent work on LearnJazzStandards.com. It's a blog where they talk about essentials to becoming an excellent musician. Things like learning jazz vocabulary, harmony, ear training, just how do you learn tunes in general? All of that is there for you. It's an excellent resource. And you can hear my interview with him on episode 87 on the podcast of the same title, Learn Jazz Standards Podcast. Go ahead and check that out. After you listen to him right here, right now, I'm happy to bring to you Mr. Brent Vardstra. Brent, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm excited just to share what I know with your audience. All right. We want to get to know you a little bit before we uh, get too heavy into the content today. So just tell us, where did your musical journey begin? Wow. My musical journey. You know, I think it's kind of weird because I didn't really come from a a musical family. I'm not really sure where the interest in music uh, came from per se, but regardless, I've I've always just been very, uh, I was always interested in it. And, you know, every time I went out and I saw some, someone playing live music at a restaurant, I was just always enamored by it. And, And so, you know, I think it was around 10 years old when I got my first guitar. My parents were really good about, you know, having me, you know, they helped me out, but they, you know, had me save up for it so that, you know, I could earn my way, kind of vetted me to see, you know, do you really want to learn how to play this instrument or not? So uh, I did get my first guitar, I think when I was 10 years old, and I just loved it. Uh, I practiced all the time, and I I got a teacher uh, who I had for like six months, and then he mysteriously disappeared. I really can't tell you what happened to him. He just never showed up to a lesson and never heard from him ever again. Uh, You know, and just from there, just, you know, kept working on it by myself and taking lessons uh, every once in a while and, and, and kind of building that uh, that love and that <clears throat> skill up of that instrument. Eventually, I really fell in love with jazz and uh, uh, the rest is history. Where did you end up going to college? I first went to college uh, at a great performing arts school in Seattle called Cornish College of the Arts, uh, which was a, it's a great school, awesome faculty, and I was uh, doing a jazz performance degree there. But ultimately, I, I really wanted to be in New York where all the action was. And, you know, there was just something ever since I had become really uh, infatuated with jazz, that was just something that I was like, wow, New York, right? And I think a lot of people feel that sometimes. But I I decided to go the next year, the following year to uh, the City College of New York in New York City uh, and continued my jazz performance degree there. So I'm wondering, when you were... Growing up, what was your idea in your mind of a professional musician? What did you think that really meant? And, and uh, how, how did your idea change as you matured? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think 
I think when I was, I don't know, you know, a teenager, I loved progressive rock music. I was really into all sorts of bands like Rush and Dream Theater and all these bands that just had this virtuosic storytelling element to their music. And I was in a progressive rock band. I just loved it. And so I, my, I think my dream there was to try to, you know, my teenage dream was, you know, that not necessarily a rock star, but, you know, to, I wanted to play that kind of music. I wanted to see what I could do with that, you know? And so I think it started that way when I became really in love with jazz, uh, which was oh, probably when I was around 17 or 18 years old, uh, it started to change a little bit, but I think it was still geared towards performance. I, I still, in my mind, thought uh, in order to be a professional musician, I, I need to be a performer and I need to get really good. Like I need to practice as much as possible and I need to go to college because that's what society is telling me to do and maybe I can get better in college. Uh, I think that was my idea about being a professional mu- musician is that it really was mostly about the performing side of things. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does very much so. Um, I asked that question because I realized that when when we're younger or even like students that I work with now, they have an idea of what it means to be a musician. Mm-hmm. And it's partially true. Uh, it's definitely this definitely not the whole truth. And uh, I remember being in school, uh, college, and I think I believe Sony had cut went to Marcellus or mm-hmm. whatever happened the relationship was over and uh, my 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 teacher mentioned to us what do you guys think you're going to do if Sony is not continuing their relationship with the best trumpet player in the world ah uh, yes <laughs> you know so that that makes a person think about uh, what what it really means to be a musician and how that might how that might really look for an individual so uh, how do you earn your living today in music? Yeah. So right now, I basically, w- over the last, I would say, uh, slowly over the last two years, but definitely over the last year and a half or so, I'm, I'm making a full-time living off of my blog and podcast called LearnJazzStandards.com, which uh, is, is, you know, it started out as a resource for for people just learning jazz standards. And, you know, now it's like way, way more than that, um, hence the name now it's really just a place for for people to come and you know whether they're interested in learning jazz or whether they're on that road just to get jazz advice lessons tips uh just things to help them become uh better jazz musicians so that's my main uh that's my main source of income right now um i used to do a lot more teaching i don't do as much anymore just some skype lessons at this point uh and i have written some books for hal leonard the music publication uh book publication company um, but I also play gigs around the city, you know, two or three times a week, sometimes more, it depends, um, just to keep that playing side of things up. But it's mainly focused around my blog and my podcast. All right. So this is really cool. You're somewhat of a unique guy in that way. Uh, tell us about the beginning of LearnJazzStandards.com. Uh, why did you start it? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Uh, and I actually have a very unique story uh, compared to most uh, entrepreneurs, which is what I consider myself, in in the sense that I actually did not start the original idea. It was actually a friend of mine who at the time was a high school music teacher. And during one of his 
uh, or I think junior high, but during one of his summers, because teachers have the summers off, he thought, oh, it'd be a great idea to have a, a website where, you know, you could just find a place to learn jazz standards. So he spent about the summer doing that, working on it a little bit. He eventually just couldn't keep up with it. And I happened to be in college at the time. And he reached out to me uh, one time when I uh, went back and uh, back to my hometown and met with him. And he just said, hey, Brent, you know, listen, I, I started this thing and I'm not able to keep up with it anymore. I was wondering if you'd be interested um, in continuing doing this, you know, whatever Google ad money we're making from it, I'll just give it to you. And, and you know, for me, that was a great deal because at the time, the job description was essentially to, uh, you know, create chord charts and bios and things of, of jazz standards, which I was really studying a lot of jazz standards at the time. So I was like, hey, great. I can maybe make a little bit of money from this and, uh, you know, and also keep learning on my instrument, keep my education up. I was, that's what I was really focused on. So that kind of progressed. And to make a really long story short, uh, I eventually became a 50-50 partner in the business, um, you know, and my my friend wasn't able to keep up with his side of the business. And so eventually he was, uh, it was a, a mutually beneficial decision. I bought out his side and that really uh, kind of created a lot of freedom for me to change the direction of the business to uh, start creating products, to start moving it away from just being a resource to, uh, you know, a, a, a podcast and, and just a place for all people to come around and website redesigns. So that's how it started. And, and it just evolved evolved over time into uh, this thing that um, I mean is really internationally followed and it's uh, it's just it's it's great to be able to serve so many people all right so one of the most challenging things about a blog is not building it and putting it online and making it available there's certainly a technical aspect to that but anybody can do that in about 15 minutes right? So right. the, the real challenge is uh, having an audience. So how, how do you build an audience f from scratch? How did that work for you? That's a great uh, question, Chris. And I, I would say no matter whether you're doing a blog or, or whatever it is that you're doing, trying to make a living at music, I think a big question that everybody should ask themselves is how am I giving value to my target audience? Like how am I providing value to them. And sometimes that even means thinking outside of the box. Like maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, uh, maybe, maybe you just want to be a performing recording artist. And so you record an album and you think, all right, I'm providing value to my target audience by giving them music. But you have to ask yourself, is that enough? Is that going to make people actually buy your music? And so I think with the same thing with, with a blog or, or a podcast or any sort of thing where you're trying to build an audience for your for your teaching or your education in music, you have to ask that question. How am I going to bring value? Not how am I going to sell them something? Not how am I going to uh, use these people to get money? Not at all. It's all about serving. You know, the service of of giving someone something really valuable, so that not not only can you you know gain their trust, but also so that you know, you can perhaps even change their life in a small way, you know, make their life better in some small way. And I think if that's the core, I mean, we're just talking the very basics here right now, Chris, like if that's the core mindset that you're set out to add value to your audience to serve them before anything else, you're going to be set up for success. And I can dive way more into other things uh, from here if you'd like. 
Yeah, that sound that does sound good to me. Um, but I really wanted to find out, like, if you're okay, so you have an idea of how you're going to serve people and and uh, help them along their journey, uh, but they don't know that you exist. So how how do you make them available, uh, aware that you're available? Right. Yeah. That's. I think that's where where everybody kind of starts. And and again, if you have that foundation of you have something really valuable to give somebody, that's a that's a really great place to start. But it's also, again, I, I've been talking about target audiences here. You know, what is my target audience going to be like? What, what are some of the pains and the struggles of the people I want to reach? So if you can identify the value that you have to offer and you can identify the pains of your target audience, the only thing left to do is actually find them, right? Which is getting to your question. How do I actually go out and find these people? I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can do it right now with the internet, right? We've got Facebook groups, we've got blogs, we've got other blogs, we've got forums, you can do guest posting on other blogs. There's tons of music education sites out there. You can throw yourself out there as a presence to try to, you know, draw, a tr- you know, attraction to that. I mean, there's also paid advertisement, but that's a totally different level right there. So there's a lot of ways to do things, but I think... It- you know, in my expertise, it's it's really on the online side of things, not so much, you know, a private lesson studio. So I'm really all about getting out there on social media, getting out there on YouTube, getting out there uh, to, in other piece, people's hemispheres, you know, guest, uh, you know, even doing what I'm doing right now, guesting on a podcast, you know, getting people to know who I am. That's a really great way to get into the door. Right on. So how are you able to earn a living exactly from a blog? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. A lot of people wonder that. You know, it's morphed over the years. Like I said, LearnJazzStandards.com has, you know, it started from one thing and it's, you know, developed into something so much bigger. And so at one point it was Google advertisements, you know, where essentially you have them up on your website. Maybe someone's reading a a jazz lesson, a tip on how to play melodic minor scales. That's just a random example. But they're looking and then they see an ad, they click on it, they get a little bit of money. That's a really basic way to make money. And that's kind of how it first started. Eventually, it led to private advertisers because the traffic started growing. You know, we started developing an actual audience and we had some analytics to back that up, you know. And so you're able to get actual private advertisers to pay for that, for, for, for spots on that. But really, what it, what it comes down to today, the, the, where we really make the money from is from e-courses and e-books, you know, having actual products uh, that are geared towards my audience so that they, you know, I'm giving them all this free content all the time, but this is kind of like a, you know, here's a way I can help you even more, you know, and it's a premium product. So that's how I'm doing it right now. Right on. So I have so many questions uh, based on the statement you just made. All right. So let's start with private ads. Uh, Are you reaching out to certain people or are they finding you or both? Well, I don't do it anymore, but uh, there's actually no private ads uh, anymore. Um, Just the reason for that is, is every time you have an ad for somebody else, you know, on your website, what are you doing? You're, You're sort of driving them away. And that's totally fine if you don't have any products. Right. But once you have some products that you that you really believe in, you can really stand behind. You kind of want to you know, keep people in your hemisphere. But it, to get private advertisers, you know, it's not a bad thing. I hope I'm not shedding like a bad light on, on it. It's totally not. In fact, um, there's lots of really big uh, sites that use that as one of their main 
you know, ways of getting income. And what I did at the beginning was I just started surfing the web and going, you know, what kind of people would want my audience to see their product that they're serving? And I made up a list of about a hundred people and just started sending them emails. And, you know, out of that got some people to bite, you know, and we struck up a little deal. So it's, as far as getting people, I, I do get people who ask now, like for, do you, do you do paid advertisements? And I, and I politely turn them down at this point. So I, I do get that. But from the beginning, it really comes into putting in the work and just trying to reach out to people, have real numbers that you can, you know, show them and, and prove to them like, okay, we got this many page views. We have this many people visiting and this is where your ad's going to be. You know, have something, a way to explain the value of your website to uh, potential uh, advertisers. So, uh, someone who's going to buy a private ad, they're interested in knowing how many visitors you have. Is that correct? And uh, what are the, some of the other points they want to know? Um, they're probably, yeah, they're probably going to know how many visitors per month. They're probably going to want to know uh, page views, you know, and, you know, di- different analytics like that. Those are probably the the basic ones. And then after that, you know, what it, once they, if they feel like, there's a good fit. They're probably going to be watching their own analytics after that to see how many clicks did I get through to my ad, and then what was the conversion rate. And one more question about private ads, and then we'll move on. Sure. What's a uh, um, good amount of time that uh, you you guys would be in agreement with each other in a contract? That could really vary. I mean, I think actually for the most part, I was doing month to month contracts, but I had customer, I had clients for 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 years so um that's probably actually not the best way to do things you probably actually do want to establish maybe a a month trial period for the advertiser so they can see okay is this a worthwhile investment for me Um, and then you might want to after that establish a little bit more of a long-term thing just to have a better relationship that's totally not what i did so i wouldn't suggest my advice on that uh on this angle of private ads i wouldn't take it necessarily so you graduated to e-courses. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk about that a little bit. So the first thing is you say that you are able to create things that are geared towards your audience. So yes, I'm really wondering, first of all, how are you able to know what your audience needs? That is a very important question, Chris. And, and again, like we're talking in my hemisphere here, the blog podcast world, but anybody can ask this question no matter what side of the music business that you're in. Um, but for, for me, and I think for, for everybody, everybody should be doing this. The most important thing you can be doing is building a mailing list, H- hands down. In fact, uh, I almost like hit myself over the head thinking about how long it took for me to start building a mailing list. And now just knowing that that's how I make most of my revenue at this point, at this point is simply by my mailing list. And through that mailing list, I can start to collect data from them. And I can also start to ask them questions really easily, right? So for example, before I come out with a product, before I even start building a product, I'm sending out a survey to all of my subscribers and just asking them some questions, trying to see what they want. What do they need? What's going to help them? What's, what are their struggles? Uh, what, what are their pain points? And the other part of that too is I'm getting emails from my subscribers every single day. And a lot of times they're asking me questions. How do I do this? How do I do this? Or this is a struggle I'm having and I don't know how to get past this barrier. Well, those are all clues to me of either free content I can make for them 
or premium content I can make for them or both. So having that mailing list is incredibly important. And I would say that is probably the best piece of advice. If you get nothing else from this, no matter what business you're in, I highly suggest building a mailing list. And how would you determine what premium content is versus free content? You know, there's uh, there's a blogger I, I follow that uh, he has a really great example of this. So I'll just use it. His name is Darren Rouse. He has a he has a website called ProBlogger.com, and he also has a website called Digital Photography School. And he talks about the first time he made his first product. And essentially, what he did is he decided to do a 31 day series on his blog about it was called 31 Days to Building a Better Blog. And so he would every day for 31 days you know, do a blog post, a little small piece of content, helping his audience do one tangible thing that day that will help improve their blog or start their blog or whatever it is they need. He did, he did that for 31 days. And, you know, later down the line, he, someone convinced him, hey, you should really package this into an ebook. And he thought, well, who would do that? Who would buy something that I've already given out for free? Well, it turns out, that a lot of people wanted that because they wanted something all together in one place that really walked them through in a stepwise motion, not spread out everywhere, uh, something that they couldn't follow very well. They just wanted a package that would help them organize the information. And he ended up making quite a bit of money off of doing this, off of putting this series together in an act- actual package uh, form. So to answer your question a little bit, some of your free content or you know blog posts or podcast, whatever you're doing, can be turned into premium content. You know, I think the greatest thing about courses is, you know, you can give a bunch of people a bunch of random lessons on how to do things. But the benefit of courses is that it it kind of holds your hand. It walks you through an actual process, right? Yes, so that that's that's a that's premium, right? That, like, anything that that your audience is saying, hey, I really like that, but you know, I want to take this to the next level then that's a good stepping place to to build on that. I can take some of this content I've already created and I can add more. I can add the make the experience better, any of that stuff. So I think the answer to your question is you can turn free content into premium content, into a premium product. You can also start from scratch, but it's likely that, you know, if you're in the in the blogging world like I am, you want to look and see what's performing well. Like what kind of free stuff have you given away that's benefited your audience? And then you can work from there. Does that answer your question, Chris? Yes, it does very well too. Thank you. So if you're making um, e-courses or what are some other things that you create? Blog posts for sure. And tell us what are some other things you make? Yeah, I also do e-books. That's another thing I make. Um, you know, just kind of a little bit of cheaper products for people to, uh, work through, um, just anything to help my audience. And I'm just continuing, basically I'm always working on a project right now. I'm about to launch a new ear training course, uh, actually coming up soon. This, this particular week we're recording this podcast. Um, and then after that launch is over, I'll be working on another one, you know? So I'm just always trying to work on, uh, new things, uh, to, to improve my, my, my user's experience. Uh, now you're creating, uh, courses and eBooks. What does that look like uh, as far as content schedule, if you will? How do you know, like, for example, right now, do you know what you're making next month? 
I know I'm going to make for my next product. I'm not sure if I'll start next month or not, but I know what my next big product is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And so how do you map that out, if at all? I'm Because I'm imagining you got to have some structure because you, you're doing a lot of work. And uh, you're, first of all, you're doing good work. I, I see LearnJazzStandards.com and you, you have a great list there of things that, tunes that we should learn. And then you have some other th- uh, content there where we can practice improvisation and ear training. That's a lot of that's a lot of work. So, how do, how do you Thanks, physically work that out? Yeah, yeah. I it, it's really uh, you know when you're running a business, any kind of business, you have to have structure. You know, and so part of this comes down to things that I do daily, which is you know I have some writers write content for me. That's the my business model is give away great free value to people and. Um, get them onto my mailing list and help them upgrade. So I have people writing content for me. I have my, I'm writing content myself. I'm recording podcasts. I'm doing social media. I'm sending out newsletters to keep in contact with my subscribers. And so all that, that, this is just regular, basic, keep up the business sort of stuff. And I have that mapped out uh, all week. You know, on Mondays, for example, I do podcasts. On Tuesdays, I, I record podcast interviews, or if not, I do um, other kinds of research on doing that side of things. You know, uh, on Wednesdays, I post uh, a piece of content. And, you know, and if I'm doing a project at the time, that's where the other side of it comes in, where I'm building that schedule in. And like I mentioned to you before, like, if I'm doing a product, it's it started way before then, right? I, I started with just simply trying to figure out would people even want this or, you know, is there something else that they want? And then once I've done that, I I really start mapping out my process for how I'm gonna do this. I kind of set a realistic deadline for when I want to have it done. Maybe it's a four month deadline, maybe it's a six month deadline, depends on how big the project is. And then from there, I just start breaking it up. I go, okay, the first thing I need to do is I need to make an outline. How is this product going to work? How's this course going to work? How's this ebook going to work? And then once I have that outline down, I can kind of have a vision for the product, the, pro- the project on hand and start breaking that apart into smaller pieces, right? So I have all this regular stuff that I'm always doing, but when I have these big projects, I've already kind of scheduled those out, you know, not perfectly, so that I know exactly what I'm doing two months from now, but I know how I'm going to get from point A to point B by just breaking that apart into small tasks. Does that make sense? It really does. Yes. Thank you very much. So you 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 actually led me to my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Because uh, maybe, maybe we can get a little uh, more in depth. What type of help do you have with your with your blog and your podcast? For example, uh, a podcast like we're doing right now. There's the recording of the show that we're doing. Uh, some people have show notes, which includes a blog post. Uh, you got the artwork and you have uh, editing of the audio that's recorded. So do you have help with any of those things? And if so, tell us about it. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't really have much of a team at the moment. Um, the only person I actually have on my payroll is uh, a tech guy, basically, any tech errors I have on my website or anything like that, he's taking care of those issues or um, if there's a glitch or if there's something that I want to do, but I just don't have the coding knowledge or the expertise to really execute it. He's taking care of me on that. Um, I do have, you know, freelancers like that write content for me, people I know and trust that write um, some of the content and that kind of eases up the workload 
for me a little bit. Um, and that's kind of as far as it goes for right now, other than my wife helping me answer all the emails that I have to work on. She, uh, takes away some of that, that work for me. Um, but at, at this point I actually do a lot of the work myself. I would love to reduce that work in the future so I could work on more of the things that I need to be working on. Okay. Moving on. I wanted to ask you, where did you develop this business mind? It's not usual for a musician to think like this. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Chris. And you know, I you know, I wouldn't have imagined myself doing this if you were to ask me, I don't know, even like seven years ago, um, you know, if I would be doing this or eight years ago, I, I wouldn't have told you I'd be doing this. I I I don't know exactly where it came from. I think I just sort of discovered that I that I had it and a lot of mistakes were made, you know, building this business. You know, if I could go back and I could change a lot of things, I would. Like I said, I would have started the newsletter first. Then I would have changed the way I communicated them with them, you know. It, I mean, there's so many things. I could go through a huge list of things that I did wrong. So I think a lot of this is just trial and error. A lot of it is educating myself. I'm really, I read lots of books. I do all this stuff. But I think I've always just had this understanding that, you know, a lot of musicians have a hard time with they, you know, they're really artistic people and it doesn't always come natural to have a business mind. You sort of have this mind of creation and, you know, this creative side, but you don't have this side of like marketing and how do I actually present myself and how do I actually reach the right people and how do I scale my, my, the business of my music, whatever that is, whether it's your performance or your education. Um, and I think I always had a little bit of that in me. And what happened is just as I continued doing this business and, and seeing that, you know, it actually could have some success, I just started learning as I went and developing habits uh, that, 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 that formed into this thing that it is now. Um, I know that's not a very good answer, but I just think trial and error is a lot of what kind of developed it or at least made me aware of it and aware of the importance. And, and I would say, Chris, by the way, that for, I did, you know, for musicians, this is a real struggle. And so I would encourage every musician to, you know, not worry all the time so much about what they're playing or their performance. I mean, that's something we all have to keep up. We all have to keep practicing. We all have to be doing that stuff, but also spend about 50% of your time. If you want to be a professional anyways, figuring out how are you going to make money? How are you going to market whatever you, it is that you're doing? Yeah, that's, that's an that's an, that's an important necessity so making money that is yeah I, but you know it's surprising chris because i know a lot of musicians that just not don't seem to have that mindset and i and they're so talented and i think to myself oh man i just feel like they could be doing so much better but they just they're missing some of these these basic instincts i think and so yeah that's just my experience so this this episode is primarily about LearnJazzStandards.com and how you were able to make that work. Uh, I'm actually going to shift gears right now. You told me something very interesting. You said uh, a failed attempt at Skype lessons landed you uh, writing for Hal Leonard. Will you tell us about that? Is that accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I... I you know, it was during a time where I was getting a little bit frustrated with LearnJazzStandards.com. There was, uh, you know, some real, some roadblocks in there, some barriers. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to try something else. And I think sometimes we we do that, right? Like we we get distracted from what we should be doing, or we don't give something enough of a chance, right? Um, and so we 
it's so easy just to move on to the next thing. Like look at, you know, maybe a shiny new idea that you had. And that's essentially what I did. I, I started working really hard on this website. I already kind of had this online entrepreneur mindset worked into me now. So I started this website. It was called the online jazz school. And it was uh, just a place where, you know, people could come and if they wanted to learn how to play trumpet or if they wanted or not, not learn how to play trumpet, but learn jazz trumpet specifically or jazz piano or jazz guitar and diff- different instruments that they could go do that. And I had a teacher for all of these instruments and you could schedule it right on the website and there'd be emails sent out to the teacher. You know, it just seemed like such a great idea. Um, <laughs> well, it, it didn't end up didn't end up working the way I'd like it to. Um I, it could possibly be because I still wasn't dedicating all of my time to it. I was still dedicating so much time to learn jazz standards. Could have been that. But ultimately, I, I just felt like the product wasn't what people were wanting or I wasn't getting it in front of the right audience. So it, it didn't go very well. But through this, I actually one day got an email from a higher up at Hal Leonard. And it was just an email. I remember opening up my e- uh, my inbox and, and seeing it. And... It just simply said, hey, wow, this is really cool. I love what you're doing here. Would you ever be interested in writing a book for us? And I kind of stared at that message for a while and was like, um, okay, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know why, but you're asking me to. Uh, so through that situation, I ended up actually getting a book deal with Hal Leonard. And uh, since then, they suggested an idea to me, which I uh, accepted. Since then, I've actually proposed my own idea, and actually that book should be coming out soon. Um, so I've, I've done a couple book deals with them. I think the big lesson to learn from this that I think I'd like to share with your audience today is just to put yourself out there and and try things. And you never know what's going to come out of something. You know, Sometimes just having a presence and being around, like these extraordinary opportunities can, can, can come up, whether you think that you deserve it or not, or you know, whether you think you're qualified or not, sometimes these things can come up because somebody else does believe in you and, and some great things can come out of it. So I think the big lesson from that situation was for me was, yeah, that business may have failed, but I gained something really big just simply by being present, being available. And I think the work paid off on that project just because of that. But that's a great story. What are the topics of the two books? Yeah, so the first one it w- was kind of a weird topic. They wanted me to publish one called 500 Jazz Licks, which um I accepted the the offer and it <laughs> was an insanely hard book to write because coming up with 500 licks in such a short period of time was um taxing and difficult. Um but the one that I'm coming out with that I proposed to them and uh they they signed a contract with me for is uh, called visual improvisation for jazz guitar. Um, and that's really just the way I think about, I'm a guitarist and that's just the way I think about the guitar in a, in a very visual way. And, um, it's a great book for guitarists. I'm actually very proud of this particular book. I'm going to let you go here. I just want to ask you, uh, tell us one thing that you like about, uh, jazzstandards.com. Uh, the favorite thing I I think I love about it is just getting emails from people and just saying, hey, thank you so much for this. Like, you know, this has been really helpful to me. You know, a lot of my audience, they're beginner to intermediate hobbyists. That's kind of my demographic. And a lot of these people like don't have access to any jazz education. Like they really are interested in the music, but they just don't have the access. And so just to get the emails from people saying, 
Oh man, thank you so much for what you do. Thanks for providing all this information. I really appreciate it. You know, um, I think that just always makes it so rewarding and so fulfilling for me. Right on. Thanks a lot, Brent. We appreciate you. You've been great today. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for pressing play. We are glad that you stuck around this long. Remember, I am on the podcast, Learn Jazz Standards number 87. Go back and listen to that. It's a great talk between Brent and I again, but I'm his guest. And that's all for today. If you like what you heard, let Brent know. Write him an email. He's easy to find at learnjazzstandards.com. And we'll see you in the next episode. God bless you.